two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks for tuning in to episode number two of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is one of the foremost abstract figurative painters of our time, Frank Arnold. Big, gorgeous oils, cast bronze angels. New York Times includes his gallery as one of the must-see sites in Los Cabos. Ex-race car driver, driving force behind the success of San Jose's art district, now one of the most thriving in all of Mexico. Frank's enthusiasm for life is completely contagious. The bar in this episode is the Frank Arnold Gallery. It is stunning, and on Thursday nights when the tequila is flowing, it's exactly where you want to be. You'll find links to the gallery, Frank's work, and the book we talk about in the interview, along with full show notes on our website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you enjoy the show, please like, and if you love the show, head to the website where you can buy us our next round. Now let's head to the Frank Arnold Gallery and listen in as Frank and I talk about building this artist's paradise and how to get past your surface brain and paint from your soul. Cheers. All set, Frank? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, so I have been looking so forward to coming and doing this. We are sitting here in the beautiful gallery of Frank Arnold in San Jose del Cabo. And the first time I walked in here, Frank, I walked in. You were sitting on the sofa at the back. I was blown away by what I saw. Came in, and the energy in this place was like off the dial. It was just beautiful and buzzing. And you looked up and you gave me a big smile and you went, you're an artist. How did you know that? <laughs> Your glasses, like it was the most obvious thing in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's kind of fun for me because, you know, in an art walk night, we might get 400 people in the course of an evening and they happen basically every week here in Cabo. And a lot of artists come to other artists' openings and stuff and it's sort of like they're wearing a, some kind of sign on them saying, I'm an artist. You can see them always, almost always. And yeah. it, it tickles me. And I and I love talking to them because they always have their own story and their own passion for what they're doing. So it's really beautiful. And your work, when you first walk in this door, you must hear incredible responses. Well, every once in a while you hear some bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this about? <laughs> you uh, out. <laughs> No, I, you know, every once in a while, I, I had one time this guy was about 90 years old and he, and he walked in and he told me, he said, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> I said, oh, I think it's supposed to be art. He didn't know I was doing it, but I said, he was, then he said, well, I'm kind of sorry I'm saying this. I said, that's all right. I was happy with it. You know, he was honest. And it was good. But I get a lot of compliments, sometimes too much. So you have to watch out that, you know, your ego is not your amigo. So you have to realize that. You know, they're just a lot of times they're just telling you it's nice because they're trying to be kind and stuff. And some people are really into the artwork, and when they're when they when they're really really into it, you can honestly tell about it. And it's really rewarding and humbling when you see somebody come in and say some really super nice spiritual things about it. So it's nice for me, yeah. And the building yourself, the way you welcome people, the artwork—it's a beautifully cohesive, vibrant amazing thing. And you've built this building, done the artwork. You've created this environment. How did this come to be? I think uh, it's one of the biggest honors I got. The New York Times said that um, 
that the gallery here was one of the top 10 things to do in Cabo. So it was kind of a cool thing for me as like a badge of honor or something. And so I always think back upon it and it's, you have a few moments in your life where you feel like you've actually done something kind of cool. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to have a simple life. And what's great about it is I have my wife, Carmen. I always like to say she's made my simple life seem elegant. And it's pretty nice because it's, it's a pretty modest place. But on the other hand, it looked kind of large and big. And so you kind of walk through this big area, but you don't realize it's a gallery, it's a studio, it's a working space, a house, a guest loft. And it's, so it's quite big, but the area for me to live in is, you know, kind of like a small apartment, actually, but with 30 high, foot high walls all around the compound. And you can really feel isolated when you need to do that, because in my artwork, you really kind of have to, you know, leave your surface mind and go to your deeper mind. and it's it's really nice to be able to do that in the middle of a kind of a vibrant town. It's kind of like Santa Fe, New Mexico for Mexico. It's now, I think, the largest art district in all of Mexico. So it's a big deal. And Thursday nights here are incredible. I love bringing people down here and having them see what this town becomes. It, it is a thing of beauty. And I have to say, the gallery is absolutely the cornerstone of it. But it wasn't like that when you first started. First started. <laughs> no, you know, I kind of... that field of dreams about if you build it they will come I, you know I was young and I didn't really realize you know how difficult life can be or to do something I just kind of came here with a passion to be able to do artwork in a small place that you still had a community in a, a town and, and I always was in love with Mexico since I was a little kid and so I kind of just had blind faith, and I, you know, I, I looked around all of Mexico, and Mexico really is a very, what people would call an arty country, I would think. But when you dive deep into it, you realize that it's, they respect art, they love art, they appreciate it, but there's not been a lot of, there's a lot of crafts kind of things that aren't really kind of fine art, so they don't really have big art districts and big art communities. I think that's why San Jose del Cabo's kind of got going because the movement is really big and our sister city is Laguna Beach and it's kind of similar you know it's kind of like Laguna Beach and Santa Fe New Mexico kind of shoved together we just have an ocean and Santa Fe doesn't have one so poor them because yeah. it would be nicer <laughs> if they did <laughs> yeah. and therefore we are here <laughs> yes yeah it's beautiful and I and I'm a long time I really that really was a big deal for me I, you know I I I, I have a studio in Mexico City also where I do the sculptures and one in Central California where I come during the hurricane season because it's too humid for me here. But I didn't want to do Mexico City or New York, and that's where you really need to be probably if you're going to really try to get deep into art culture. But I wanted to do my own deal where I did it, and lucky I, I guess I'm super lucky for Cabo to kind of come on its own. And now it's we have people coming from all over the world. And, you know, so they're a pretty select group of people when they come to Art Walk because if you're going on a vacation and you choose to do an art tour, that's kind of <laughs> opposite of what you would think when you're going to go to a beach community. So I'm really happy. And I'm glad it's cold in Northern California and Canada because that's what drives all those people down here from New York, Chicago, Toronto, Vancouver. Uh, they're all coming for the sun, and I get to see them, so it's nice. So by the time they've walked in here, they're down here, so they're adventurous and 
looking for fun and they're also interested in art or they wouldn't have found their way here. So yeah. they're, they're curated before they walk through the door. <laughs> and, that's, and that's really cool because they don't have any expectations when they come. So it's, I think it's kind of, the place looks a little opposite of what you would expect in Mexico. I was trying to be really respectful for that because it's in the historical district of the town, which was the first town. It is the real town of Cabo and it's, you know, up two blocks from the church in the square. And so it is the historical district and it's almost 300 years old. So I really wanted to not make something like super contemporary. I wanted something to kind of blend it in. And so I think we kind of achieved it. It kind of mixed it up a little bit, but it still looks like a New York gallery. Yeah, yeah. absolutely does. And your gallery is here. Your studio is also here. And yeah. you touched a little bit on being in here, and this is where you said something about going beyond surface. Yeah, I think that I started off my art like most people do, and you kind of get to this. I remember first doing mother and child paintings. I don't know, because I was classically trained in art. And so it's the first thing I can think of, you know, and I, and I remember, you know, mother holding baby mother with basket you kind of go to these things and I, yeah. except I kind of want to do my own thing and so I realized that when I was trying to do mine they were just circles and they were kind of an abstract images of it but I liked it you know it made me feel good right so my whole career has been about painting emotions and it f started out with me painting about me which is kind of silly when I look back on it other than you really can't think of anything else so it was all about me 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 in my surface mind, basically. And when I started losing that, I think it's once you've caught up to where you are by age, because what I do is I call them kind of emotional paintings. So you start off young, and then you work your way up to where you are in your age, and then you can start painting with your more deeper mind. And that's when I, I kind of met Dr. Jim Maganiello, who I wrote a book with called Unlocked, Your Creative Imagination and Become Who You Truly Are. The experience of talking to him, he's kind of a Plato, Carl Jung, depth psychologist, and he's really influenced me. And he's the one that brought out that my paintings were mostly archetypal images that are kind of given to me. It's, it's a very Jungian kind of concept. And so now when I paint, I, I, do, I have to go to my deeper mind to actually kind of get the paintings. And I have a quote if you want me to read it to you. Yeah, yeah. I was in my Mexico studio, and, you know, in Mexico, there are no English is really spoken there. And I was kind of isolated for days. And so I was kind of lost in this, you know, world of not communicating with anybody. And so isolated. And I got to the airport, and I got on the plane, and the team was on the taxiway, and this voice came to me and told me how to describe to people what it was like. Because I get interviewed all the time and people would ask me, you know, what's it like when you do this? And I never really had an answer for them. And so this light bulb went off and I, I found it, the answer to what I think it is. I go to a place where no words are spoken, a place where there's no sounds, no smells, and even my sense of touch goes away. I'm left in a bright place where things seem to be given to me. It's a wonderful place where I feel like I can do anything. A place that I'm so grateful for because I can see. And what I mean by that is I get kind of guidance from somewhere. And I feel like they're like gifts given to me. Like art sends 
gifts to my soul. And it's wonderful because I don't think I would ever be able to do it without someone having giving me some guidance somehow. Right. And do you feel that a lot of that came out from meeting Dr. Jim and starting to understand, or is that something that you intuitively... Well, it, it all started... I, I, have, I have moments of where it started from, and they're like little snapshots of, of things. I was first told about Young, and I didn't didn't kind of believe what he was saying, and I thought it was... He told a story of he'd go to his cabin wall and he'd carve his relatives' names in his cabin wall. And by the act of doing that, he became closer to them or deeper to them emotionally. And I thought, oh, that's corny, you know. So I went to the studio and I drew in my painting and I said, well, now I just ruined my painting. Now what am I going to do, right? So it forced me to move in a direction and I, I did it. And when I used these other scrawls of marks on there and I covered up what I was doing, it was kind of like, cerebral frenzy and it worked for me and so it was really good and I felt connected it's sort of like someone scratching their initials in your brand new car of someone you loved you would hate it at the moment it happened but as time went on you wouldn't want to repaint it you would because it has more of a meaning to you then so it's kind of a perspective that you see from your soul so I would go to an art show and People would say, oh, that looks like a bullet hole in your in your painting. And for me, the painting was real emotionally and, and more serious. And I felt it was more of like a, a heart or something or some kind of spiritual thing in the painting. So I remember drawing the number eight in the, where the heart was instead of doing this spot. And, you know, now I have in my paintings, I have a thing I call the story of eight. Eight and five appear in almost every painting I do basically all of them. And it's kind of like now people want that in the painting so much when they buy them because if it's not there, they're really kind of felt like they're not. It's like a signature. So in the story eight for me is really that I found out at eight years old I was adopted and it was kind of a cruel way of it happening. You know, I, uh, my mother was doing the dishes and she was pregnant at the time with their, her own natural son and I was reading the newspaper and I asked her, what this word adoption meant in uh, the newspaper. And she said, it's when someone when someone can't take care of someone and they have someone do it for them. And I said, wow, do I know anybody like that? And she said, yeah, you. So from that moment on, I kind of went out and made a deal with myself to be self-sufficient. And so, you know, I'd sell Christmas cards and newspapers and, you know, I would just constantly work from eight years old. And I learned how to support myself, which is a really nice thing so when I carved the eight into the painting of the in my body and the, it was a human you know silhouette what I do mostly and it became real significant to me and so I really got the Jungian connection you know it was like eight was me right and so I started doing a bunch of stuff with numbers and then I put these numbers all in the paintings and I was doing that really surface mind kind of uh, applications and I had this numerologist come in the gallery and she told me that the numbers I picked for what the meanings were were exactly in line with numerology so I didn't pick them out myself I guess I mean I must have lined up with something so you're getting information delivered to you without you knowing it in life and so I kind of did it so when Dr. Jim came he, you know he kind of got me talking about this stuff at a deeper level much deeper level and I raced cars 
in my younger life for 20-some years, and he believes that I found some backdoor to meditation. In racing, you have to hyper-focus for an hour and a half and at a single source, and so doing the artwork, you could get into a trance. He thinks there's some backdoor to meditation or some kind of thing. So I think my first breakthrough came through when uh, I would listen to the same song over and over and over again, and trying to pick the same song because you wouldn't be distracted by some kind of change in the music and you get into some kind of meditative state. And it helped me. And then when I realized as I went along, I realized that when you really, really get there as an abstract artist, there's no sound, there's no nothing. There's nothing. It's exactly like in my quote, you know, you're left in this place that's bright where you can feel like you can do anything and everything seems to be flowing. If you get into your surface mind, you tighten up and the painting becomes wishing. It's not, mm-hmm. it's no longer any good. So. Yeah, becomes academic. Yeah, and it's tough. And I think what happens if a person is doing realism, they have like rules set to them and they, they follow the rules and they can be creative in the way they do it. And I believe everybody can be creative. If you're gardening, you can be creative. If you If you're at a smorgasbord loading your plate up, you can make a pretty plate or a pretty ugly one based on just thinking about it. So I don't think that in any way I'm special at all. But I think people who choose to do it seem to be more connected to their soul. I hear you. So much of what you're saying is resonating with me. This is exciting. It's, uh, I think it does with all artists, yeah. really. So when you talk about that, these images come to you, sounds almost as though you become a conduit for them. Yes. And then uh, you're in this space where there is no sound. And no... Tell us the reality of that moment. Like when an image comes to you, is it like, everybody get out of my way. I got to get in the studio right now and get this while it's fresh. Or what's your actual physical painting process? I'll, I'll tell you what happens. Tell myself I'm going to go paint the best painting of my life today. And I do that so that I don't have any self-doubt guard things you know, getting in my way, oh, you're no good, you're a fake, you know, all the, and I think everybody has those self-doubts going on in them, and so I try not to think very much, you know, you try to, I can remember in, in my California studio, I have to walk from my car to my studio, and there's this kind of big space between the two, and and the sun's always in my eyes when I'm doing it, because I'm going in the mornings to do them, and I realize I close my eyes, because I don't even want to see the buildings, I want to be I want to be in there and and I get inside the studio and I don't try to think. The same is in racing when you're on the pace lap. You have to remove all your thoughts from your head. So it's kind of, I've never done yoga, but I, I people who have told me that you're, the idea is to lose everything out of your mind. And that's where I get. And so anytime any thought, uh, and any thought, we're talking down to like, what color am I going to use? I dismiss it. So I get there, and I just start the painting, and it's just usually with a mark, right? And sometimes they come rather quickly, and other times they come rather slowly. And if I'm in my surface mind too much, I have to get, like, out of that, and it's very difficult because you're wishing. Like, sometimes you can kind of get a little irritated by it. I kind of ask for guidance sometimes. I'm a, it's basically, please help me. I mean, that, that's how, how bizarre it is. And 
you know, I'm classic when I'm classically trained, you know, you start and you can say, oh, it's coming along well or it's coming along very, very poorly. But, you know, it's you can't judge yourself at all with this because it changes so fast and so radically that you have to just go with it. And so it's almost like someone's pushing the paint for you. It's really it's it, it's mind boggling. In fact, I was just had a uh, a video shoot for a YouTube video that they were doing for me, and I never let anybody watch me really paint for real. They come sometimes. They've come, and I'm polite and I let them see, but I'm not really focused at that time. So I've never seen how it works myself, and I got to see the video, and I forgot they were there because I got so into the video. And I was lucky I did a, a really nice painting that I happened to do because I've seen when people try to do it, they get stuck and they end up with not as good as they normally do. But this one actually turned out really nice. So I get to see the start to finish of what it really looks like. And I, and I have to say myself, it's kind of odd to look at it. It's like I wouldn't expect it to be like that. So I, that's the first time I've ever witnessed it. And we're putting it together, so we'll see how we put it together. Yeah, well, it'll be fun to see. So you're an abstract expressionist. Mm -hmm. Well, abstract, I'd say abstract figurative. Okay. And have you always been? Where did it all start? Well, when you're in school and you talk too much, you get art classes more. <laughs> so I guess that's where it starts. I guess that's where it starts. You we'll know? show you. Yeah, yeah you know, put Frankie in art class because he <laughs> talks too much in English. So, you know, you do a lot of art. And I used to daydream a lot. You know, in school, I'd look out the windows. And I think school was kind of boring to me because it was – I they – the way people teach people is in a class, they teach it at the level of the slowest learner in the school, in the classroom. And, and I got frustrated because I already knew what they were talking about and they kept repeating it. It was like, I felt like screaming. So I'd look out the window and think about my own stuff, right? And so school wasn't very difficult for me in terms of getting a good grades. And so the fantasy part of Daydreaming was big, and I've always been big on that. So it falls right in line with doing abstract artwork, you know. I did, and I think doing real, realism work, you know, that's that's like digging a ditch sometimes for me. I mean, it's like it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of rules, and you know, and there's techniques, and it's hard. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. So I think you can get a lot of satisfaction. Well, I get a lot now, but when you're first doing it, you know, it's like. <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah. You're just trying to do a pretty picture when you're a little kid, and you're happy with most things that come out nice. And when you get older and you start painting for real, is what I call it for real, real, is uh, you try to get to your core of who you are and try to give something. You don't try to copy anybody because you try to give something back to the world that's different than anything that anybody else did. So it's real important to do something like that, I think, for everyone. No matter what it is, if it's a mother helping a child making a difference or someone helping the needy or someone being the president of the United States, yeah. president of Mexico, pre yeah. prime minister of Canada, correct? <laughs> Very well done. Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, someone's got to do all those jobs. And, I, and, and there's, if you do it good, it's great, you know. It sounds like the job that you have chosen for yourself is the perfect fit. Sure, nice for me. I yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're in school, they say, what's it like to live like this, like an artist? I said, well, you remember when you're in school and you're all walking to class and someone had history, some people had English, and you got art, 
and you go, okay, see ya. <laughs> that my life's been the art class, and so it's been really nice. You know? Something that always interests me with artists, and you were saying, you know, with realists, they have these rules, but artists, we tend to create these parameters in which to work. And mm-hmm. I look at your work, and it it is thematic, and yes. there are so so you've created a set of rules rules and you're absolutely right and that's nice that you bring that up because i can kind of explain what i think i believe that you have to paint who you are and i i don't like to look at other people's work too much because i don't want to be influenced by their works not to say i don't love them i mean i did the book with dr jim whether the Cy twombly uh foundation the picasso foundation rothko foundation they all approved the book and it's nice and Cy Twombly is probably one of my favorite painters, and I, I feel like I could paint paintings that look like his, and I would be really proud of him, mm-hmm. but I would feel like I'm cheating because that's not who I am. I'm not Cy Twombly, and I'm not from his background, and I don't want to steal his stuff. And so sometimes I don't necessarily think all my paintings are the best things in the world either, you know, but it is who I am, and I have to stay true to that. And otherwise, I'm just cheating mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And if you don't like it, that means you just don't like a little piece of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's okay for me. And I read somewhere that if you don't like yours, they go. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think everybody artist can do this. If you don't yeah. like what's going, you just paint over it. Because the yeah. canvas below is way too valuable. And all that buildup is just there waiting. right? Yeah. So I think for some people, and Dr. Jim is the one that said that, he's taking it from a place where... Uh, he's thinking I'm really sacrificing something. And I'm looking at it from a place where I have all these little hidden treasures of all these colors that are that, that can peek through. So I, I like it. You know, I, I just want to be at least pleasantly surprised by what came out. Not, But even the cover of my book, I was going to paint over. Mm-hmm. And my curator said, why don't you give it a day or so, Frank? You know, yeah. um, Because I think you, when I first paint them, I don't really see them. It takes two or three months before I actually get to see the painting. And it's it's kind of a wonderful way to look at stuff. It's beautiful to be able to see it that way because I'm seeing it like a viewer sees it, not like seeing it like the artist sees it. And so two months after that I do the painting, I can really kind of judge whether I think, ah, it's pretty good or pretty weak, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm amazed I even did them. I don't feel like I, I don't think I'm responsible. You know, I'm thinking, wow, that's nice, you know. Or I can think, oh, I don't think that's as good as you thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's just like that, yeah. But. Yeah. Dr. Jim, one of the people he compares you to is Kandinsky. What, how did that feel? I think Kandinsky is father of abstract art, and I think he's coming from a psychology point of view. I, my work's probably more connected to Bay Area figurative painters, and but I think he's talking about the soulfulness of it. Mm-hmm. I mean... Bay Area figure painters were closer to realism than I am. You know, I'm I'm kind of more abstract. So I'm more abstract. But Kaninsky was kind of abstract and surreal. I mean, it was neat. But I get compared to a lot of people, you know, like Giacometti and all these things. It's just, I think what happens is people can see influences are things they see in other people's work. And I, it's an honor, you know, to hear that. But I don't know how to... I don't see, I don't think anybody, I don't think there's anybody's work that is exactly like mine ever. I see people try to emulate it all the time, and they, sometimes people are so proud that they paint paintings like mine and send them to me and stuff, and 
you know, it's I'm honored by that, right? But I can't even copy one of my own, so I don't <laughs> think somebody's going to be able to do that. Yeah. It's a pretty hard thing to do, right? Yeah. And the spontaneous moment yeah. leaks out of it at that point. There's a book, uh, it's about my paintings and sculptures, and it kind of goes through the, sort of like what people do when they come to the gallery. You know, we in the gallery, we open the gallery, we open the house, we open the, the bedroom, the guest loft, the studio, it's all open, so people get to walk through like an artist's life, right? And it's kind of fantasy. You know, I think it's, you know, some people will say it's Hemingway-ish. Some people will say it's Gaudi, Gaudi, the guy who lived in Tahiti. I can't remember. Oh, Gauguin. Yeah, Gauguin, yeah. yeah. And there's, yeah, I think there's some similarities to those things because they did that. And I think that's a personality trait. They wanted to be like that and, and not be with the big hustle bustle of, of a big giant city and trying to make their work go that way. When you do it the way I've done it, the people have to come to you instead of you going to the people. So it's nice. So you better give them something to look at. So I'm building a sculpture garden across the street. It's real rewarding to me. You know, it's kind of like a nice thing. I have some quotes. If you want me to read some of my quotes from the book, is that sure. what you I tell people, if you really see my art, you will see yourself. And from there, you may see life itself. And I really, truly believe that. You know, when I was younger and I would say, hear a quote like that, I think the guy was nuts, right? I mean, he's just <laughs> telling. But if you get into it enough, I think you start really, you start really feeling it instead of looking at it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something that's from your soul, you know? Yeah. So when people come in and see your work and mm-hmm. stand in front of it, what is the response that gives you the biggest, like, ah, oh, that's exactly, that That just feels amazing? I, I think tears come in a lot of people's eyes, mm-hmm. and it's not because of how great I did. It's they're seeing something in their life, yeah. you know, something about them or a, a message delivered to them, and they're doing it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty humbling to have something I didn't expect to do that with artwork you know I don't think you do that I've never seen anybody do it with the sculptures either Mm -hmm. there's something the sculptures I think people can like them because they're more manufactured looking product and they look they look like produced Mm -hmm. right so there's a process to it and you know the foundry does all that so I think you can get a feeling of retail piece of artwork or something Mm -hmm. in a painting they're pretty polished looking but when they're in a gallery and they're all framed and they look you know hanging they're all pretty on the wall and but they have something more going on Mm -hmm. people see things that in them that you normally wouldn't here's one of my favorite quotes of all time in the book here it's from albert einstein and it f- falls right in line with Dr. Jim Maganiello's whole philosophy, Plato, Carl Jung. His uh, quote is, Reality is merely a, an illusion, albeit a pretty persuasive one. It's pretty interesting that in the deep psychology beliefs like Jungian and Plato and stuff, they believe that you have nighttime dreams and you have daytime dreams. And the daytime dreams are your life here on Earth. And then you leave, and if you're a Catholic or a Baptist or something, when you leave, you become light and energy. So it, it all corresponds with it. And, they, and there's basically, 
what a Jungian or a Plato person would say is the artwork are like kind of spiritual guidance that pieces to them. <laughs> and so, and I'm just a painter, so they use me as a way to get there. All right. So. so when somebody walks into the gallery, stands in front of a piece, and feels that. Yeah, it's, it's, in, a, it's incredible. I remember a, a husband losing his wife coming here. He wrote me this really long, elegant letter. He came here for the first time after the loss of his wife with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He came into the gallery. He came in, and there was a painting called M Here. And in the painting, it gave him some kind of reference to his first wife and her approval for him to be there through a painting. I mean, it's pretty incredible when you start getting, I mean, he was guilt-ridden and he loved his wife very much. And and the painting was, even the title, I'm here and things in the painting. And when you hear stories like that, it's pretty, pretty big. And Mm -hmm. so. It's a very emotional moment. Your work is very personally revealing in a way. It's not obvious, but it is very there. Your home is open. How do you keep that line between public and private? Um, I've always been pretty, you know, if you're adopted, you really never really had a family that you, and so you've always felt like you've lived with kind of strangers. And I think sometimes as kids grow up, they can think their own parents are strangers because where is this coming from? Who are they, right? Mm-hmm. Because they start questioning who they are as a person. So I don't know. I, I think I've always been really open. I remember selling newspapers on the liquor store, you know, before they had stands and stuff, and you'd sit there as a little kid, and and people would come up, and I'd sell them the newspapers, and they were always so kind to me. And so it, I kind of felt like they became family. So I guess you could translate it and say, they feel like family when they come in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it might be harder for Carmen because she's in a family of eight, but, and she wants her own private time sometimes. So sometimes she goes in there and... Yeah, Frank, it's time to close the my, door. I do it on my own. <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I'm not doing it for my ego. It's really sincere. And I'm okay if they don't like the paintings. I'm not, not hurt. Yeah. I have another quote here if you want to hear mm-hmm. it. You have to feel the image before you can create it. And I really think that that's kind of a true statement for me because if you can't feel it, mm-hmm. it's just fake, you know. It's just your surface mind yeah. tricking you. So you're here, you're painting from your soul, you're expressing yourself exactly in the way that it has come to flow from you, and you're a success, you know, if we look at it from a business perspective. Yeah, monetary, and uh, yeah. yeah. How was it? To get there? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, people come. Every, every artist listening is yeah. going to lean into the... <laughs> yeah, I, I think that people come in here all the time and they ask mm-hmm. me, you know, how did you do this? How did you make this happen? You know, because a lot of people have done the same thing. I had f- other friends that I try to tell them, do, oh, just do this, 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 and they do it, and it doesn't really work for them. And I think maybe because they're trying to follow something I think is, will work and it's not going to work for them. But I have come to the conclusion everybody should do artwork and it should be not about money at first, right? And it shouldn't be at the end either. But but I have to make a living. So it's not that I want gobs of money. I just want to make a living. And I don't want to be. I don't want there to be gluttony in it. You know, when I die, maybe the paintings will be worth a lot more and somebody else will get that. But it's not what I want, ultimately. I have come to one conclusion that I think will help artists. 
because it happened to me by mistake, I was on the good side of this. I was in this, this building was given to us in uh, California by the city. It was a big building. And I was least experienced artist of the five people who got the building. So I was like the younger junior one. And they were all well-respected artists with healthy egos, right? And that didn't, I didn't like that. The ego part really kind of pissed me off, actually. But I wanted to, I wanted to live up to them. Right? I mean, I wanted to, I wanted them because I'd say, I'd see their work and I'd go, God, I'm just so impressed with that, right? I'm just like overwhelmed, right? And, and those comments never came back to me very often, you know? In fact, I don't, to this day, I don't think they've, any of those have ever even said anything good. And I think that's sad. But the number one thing I learned from all of that is that when we had group shows, I sold more than everybody. And they never say anything good about my work. And I realize at the time now that if you're doing artwork and you're in a group show and you're not outselling everybody, you should change what you're doing. Not exactly, not say that the work's not good, but you should at least modify it or do something to make you the number one in the group show. Because once you leave that group show, there's thousands of artists. That's the number one thing. If you can't make it, can't outsell the group then change change it up yeah but if you're if you're outselling the group then stick with it so that's it if anyone's art moves you for a moment it's done its job you know people come in here all the time and ask me my husband loves this you know but he, i mean i love this but my husband just doesn't get it right and i i'm not saying my art works for everyone i i think everybody has their own life path and want their own likes and dislikes but I like everything pretty much you know I mean I I can go from super realism to super abstract even like installations and performance art pieces I, I like them I, I you know the ladies I can't remember her name right now the sitting in the New York Museum for months. oh yeah yeah Abramovich it's, it's that's incredible what a commitment yeah. you know that's a big commitment and you know yeah. people can poo-poo it but man I mean she lives it very beginning, I was doing it mm-hmm. at a deeper mind level, but my surface mind was in there because the paintings were about me, 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 right? And I, it's, I'm glad I left that. I loved what you said about when you start painting, you're starting painting your age mm-hmm. from the beginning. You start painting your life from the beginning, and mm-hmm. you work your way up. And then when you come out the other side, that's when you're going to the deeper level. And that fascinates me. That's uh, Well, it's, that's what I call in my book, Art in Prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to, you know, the only death row prison in California, and I, they asked me to do a class there once a week, and I kind of wanted to give back, and so I said, yeah, I'd do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I got there, and all the ladies were well-instructed artists. I mean, they were all pretty good. So when I got there, I said, we're going to do emotional art, and they were really upset. <laughs> I said, they thought, I'm going to waste my best moment of my time here in prison that I only get like one hour a week on this. <laughs> So um, I calmed them down. I told them they could do similar things. But what I learned from it was um, that they all started painting. If they had adjusted to being there for life, they started their childhood when we started doing the exercise. Every one of them. And they were always kind of happy experiences. The ones that weren't well-adjusted 
to knowing that they were going to be in prison for the rest of their life at what was happening to him at that very moment. And they were very dark and very violent looking. It was really a big difference. Mm -hmm. And as we went along, those people got to start over. The ones that we started doing our work, they all started at the beginning. So they, once they calmed down and got better, they started looking. But I'll give you an example of when we did critiques at the end of the class, we would say, we'd go over them, and this girl was painting this girl in a ball, basically, and there's these other elements in it and stuff, and there's this whole diamond grid background. And I'm looking at it, and I have a lot of experience looking at artwork, and you know they're all looking at it, they're critiquing, and they said they like the diamond background or they didn't like it a lot of them didn't like it right mm-hmm. i said i really like it i think it really adds to it and stuff i said but where do you think it came from and she she goes i don't know i just it just came to me it was so powerful and everything and i said well i'm not going to say this is where it came from but you guys look out a chain link fence every day and that's a diamond grid oh, right yeah. and so you start realizing things are delivered to you from your subconscious and yeah. so that's where i think it comes from and so that's why it took me a long time to get to my, you know, current age. I started doing this paintings that I was doing in my 20s. And by the time I caught up to my age, I was almost in my mid-30s and, you know, beginning of my 40s. And I started then finally painting deeper mind paintings instead of just all about me. me, me. Did you study at art school? And yeah, I was you... classically trained. And I, and I went to a university in Fresno and mm-hmm. I had some great, Art professors, you know, I had Judy Chicago was there and Nathan Bertoli and Charles Gaines. And, you know, there's a lot of, I was around Thompson. They were all New York artists doing this one semester in Fresno. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of nice. I didn't learn a lot from them other than I learned feminist movement and mm-hmm. art class from her because she's pretty disciplined about female rights. And that was kind of new in the 70s, right? It was, but, um, yeah, I think it's it was great to go to school like that. And then you finished school. You spent time driving race cars. And yeah, I got for some reason I I was really when I was a little kid I would always say to myself, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. It scared me to death, right? Mm-hmm. And I end up somehow being pulled to it. And I went to race school. For, and I don't know exactly how that. Oh, I met a man named Mel Minner, who's a famous world famous race car driver. And I asked him, how does this work? How does someone become a race car driver? And he told me, and I did the steps. Drive and, fast. <laughs> yeah. I did the steps, and, you know, I got it, and I got it pretty successful at it. So it was really mm-hmm. very good. So here's another quote. If you're honest with your artwork, you will find yourself. And I think I needed to find myself because I was adopted, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was, right? And how did Dr. Jim come into your life? He was staying at Palmia, and the Palmia concierge said he said he wanted to go see artwork because he's kind of an interesting yeah. guy. He taught at University of Boston and mm-hmm. pretty famous in his own right. And uh, he came here, and he was just blown away. And so he sat here, and I started talking to him, and it seemed like I knew him all my life, right? And what he was talking about was all the stuff I was doing. And I was just like, I never really had any guidance with this, right? Then we went on to write that book together. And he's really helped me a lot in terms of uh, finding finding myself. I think I really have learned how to know who I am as a person, you know. And that's that whole thing. With your imagination, you can find out who you are. And so, you want to hear another one? Yeah. Um, art sends you gifts for your soul. 
And that is your quote? Yeah, yeah. these are all my quotes. Because the smart guys in my book, they're better than mine. <laughs> but these are true You're going to have to get the book to find <laughs> yeah, out what they said. Uh, now, my favorite quote from that book. Okay. I'm sorry, Frank, but it's it, wasn't, right. it wasn't from you. Good. You know what it was. No, tell me. It's from a budding art critic who I think is uh, was six years old when he said this. Yes. Frank laughs like a kid and paints like a dragon. It's my favorite quote. I've, I've had some pretty famous people give me quotes, but I think that's my favorite. He was a very gifted kid that would come in here, he, kind of a prodigy child, and he'd come in and he would be, at six years, already going to museums and, you know, he's going to New York and stuff all the time. And he came in here and uh, I let him paint on one of my paintings because he, he knew what everything meant before. He knew what eight meant without asking me. And I learned this by when he did the painting and he talked about laughs like a kid and paints like a dragon. He, he, he drew an eight on the painting and the eight was me, right? So he knew that. But, you know, everybody comes in here. He's the only person that knew, that knew what eight was without being told, ever. Intuitively yes. got it. Yeah. Luis Herrera. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, Frank, the name of the show is Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to expect you to magically come up with a punchline for that. I don't have one yet. But tell me something in funny that has happened either here or a joke okay. or i'm not a very good joke teller <laughs> but i'll tell you something that was really interesting and it makes me chuckle when i think about it all the time uh, this professor at a university a university came in and told me a story of her young daughter who was i think somewhere in seven eight years older the daughter asked the professor mother where are you going she goes i have to go to school and teach the kids how to paint and she goes the little daughter said you mean they forgot how to paint? <laughs> so I think it's, you know, it's like everyone knows how to paint. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. They just have to remember how. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you well, for thank taking you. this time. I love talking with you. Well, and uh, you. Yeah, your artwork is amazing. And uh, well, it's been a total you. pleasure. Likewise. Okay. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers. <laughs>